Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. Separating from a partner is rarely easy. Throw in young children and you have another level of complexity. There's confusion, heartache, and lives that need to be untangled and remade. Lucy Kippist is the community manager at Mums & Co and also a very good friend of mine. Three years ago, she separated from her husband when her kids were just two and five. I've watched her overcome all of the messiness and pain that came with separation and I thought that I would give you a bit of her goodness and let her share what she's learned and hopefully that might help you if you're in a similar place yourself. Hi Lucy, how are you? Oh, what a beautiful introduction. I'm tearing up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not intending to make you cry, but it's very true. I think, um, you know, I have a lot of experts on the show who have, you know, studied and done counselling and all the rest of it, but I feel like people want to know lived experience that has worked well, Mm. you know. People want to see others come out the other side but also how did they get to the other side and that's why I wanted to talk to you because I kind of feel like you're on the other side do you feel that way yes look it's been an intense three years but it it, yeah I think I've reached a place where life has calmed so we should start at the beginning so this was not a separation that you wanted but as I said watching the way you dealt with it was very inspiring for me and I think that the reason why it was inspiring is because I feel like you had a mindset from the very beginning and that made the difference with how you kind of went through that separation. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And in thinking about the why or what that is, it's actually quite simple and it was that I looked at my voice and decided that I had to survive. And not only survive, I I had to thrive because they were so little. And I guess in part, as is so often a part of separation, is a feeling of guilt, justified or, or, or not, and wanting to put use that feeling meaningfully. So I decided, you know, they were little. I had to work. I had to pull myself together. And I had to give them a routine. I've always been a really routine (laughs) mum. I think that (laughs) goes from having two kids that never slept. Routine was essential. And I threw myself into that. And I think that's why. I think that was that very simple decision at the time. And that that actually went on to help me. Um, But it really was the best thing I can do right now is give them a similar life as possible as to the one that we just had. So in a way, that's that's a two-pronged way of looking at it because you had what you wanted for your boys, which was um, that life would be as normal as possible, but then what you wanted for yourself in what you were going through and the pain that you are going through was to survive and thrive which I have seen for you means also to evolve so it meant for me watching you that everything that you went through from there on in you saw as even if it was hard that it was helping you get to a better place that's right and that came from 
I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time and I think they were fundamentally like going to a psychologist. I also went to a psychologist very early on and the the choice to basically it was I could sit around blaming and hating and feeling resentment and pain and that is all part of it and I will say that it is part of it. You have to feel all of that. Or I could take responsibility for my part in what had unfolded, whether I wanted it or not. And that is what I say to everybody I've met since who are, go- who are going through this. And, you know, since then, so many more people have separated, you know, thanks to the stress of COVID and, and everything else. And that's the first thing I say. And you have to be in a certain level of to hear that and know yes. what that means. But for me, that was fundamentally helpful because that helped me do the work on myself. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning in a practical sense. Once you realised you needed to separate, and that can happen at different times for people, what was the most helpful or important thing for you at that time when you knew that okay, I just have to be out of this relationship. Was it emotional or practical support? What what did the most important thing look like for you? There was two things. The, The first step was finding somewhere to live, and that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but actually making that step is very, very, very difficult. I was the one to leave. Um, so finding a a house and for me I found an apartment not far from where we were living anyway and that was really important because again it bed us in our community where we already were and you know it was across the road from a park that we'd got we go to all the time anyway so I felt like geographically there was some continuity um, and that was very helpful and we stayed there for a few years the second thing was my relying on my incredible group of girlfriends so every single day at four o'clock when I finished work, <laughs> I would be on the phone and in the half an hour it would take me to get to the boys to pick them up, I would ring one of those probably eight particular women, depending on what the problem was, depending on what I was really struggling through on that day, and I would have this absolute download for like 20 minutes and they would always pick up the phone and they would always just hear me out. And that emotional support from someone who loved me and it was never, you know, whatever it was, there wasn't much um, the other person didn't have a chance to say. (laughs) Um, But in the end I would leave with a solution and what I mean by that is the next step became clear and if that next step was, you know, just make the kids fish fingers for dinner or it was on the weekend we'll meet up or whatever it was it was just it just got me to that next day that's just a really interesting way of leaning on your friends because we're often told to ask for help Um, but what you were doing was just connecting with people who loved you and then taking what came out of that connection so it wasn't even like you needed to say in particular okay my kettle's broken and I can't boil the water can you get me a kettle like it wasn't even things like that it just feels like what you were doing was 
taking emotional support from them, however that came. Exactly. And I'm a talker, right? Not everybody is. Yeah. But I found talking so cathartic. I mean, I used to be someone who would never use the phone and I laugh at that now. I was always the text message friend. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I have embraced the phone Uh, and, yeah, I just found it so, it was because, you know, probably in a philosophical sense, I was telling my own truth. I was learning to speak my own truth, however ugly or sad or funny that was, I was talking my way out of my grief. You mentioned there that one of the practical things was finding somewhere to move out to. You found somewhere that would be familiar for the kids and you did stay there for a few years. What were some of the other things you did to help normalise things for the kids? Because you moved out of the family home into a unit, so that's a different space for them, even though it was close to their family home and they were still seeing their dad, et cetera, et cetera. Were there any other little things, practical things that you did to try and keep things even keeled for them? Um, yeah, I maintained the bedtime. Um, I made our weekends, we'd always see someone on the weekends they were with me. So often it was my parents. We'd go there one of the days of the weekend. So I was trying to bring in, you know, keep that consistent too, keep the people around us the same. I talked about their dad a lot as in, you know, he was a normal part of our conversation. I had photos of him in their room. You know, he he wasn't a topic that was off off topic. Like that was just normal, whatever question was coming my way. And my oldest son had started school that year. So so that was a big change too. So I, I kept things very quiet that first year. There wasn't a lot of going places we hadn't gone to before. I really tried to keep it quiet on that. Yeah, hopefully that answers that question. But, yeah. That was, for some reason, that felt really important. And I still stand by that now, actually, because they're really well adjusted. And also their dad and I had a very tight routine that he kept as well. So they did have that consistency. That might not all be important or possible, but it kept me calm too. It probably kept me more calm than them. It was probably more about me because that's not for me, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Well, that's what kids need. So it hasn't always been easy with your ex-partner to work things out. And, of course, many people going through a separation will find that getting to a place of amenable co-parenting feels impossible. How did you manage those early days, weeks, months or, you know, pockets of time where it was really difficult to communicate with your ex-partner about how you were wanting to parent the kids. I mean, was that a challenge and, and how did you handle that? Yes and no is the answer to whether it was a challenge. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But again, it's about consistent messaging. So my advice would be you can't keep all the things that you had before with the kids when you're co-parenting and try and accept that really early on if you can. Just pick two things. You know, for me it was always bedtime and um, 
that was a big one. Um, so I would just stick to that. So what you're saying there is pick two things that are really important for you in terms of the kids' routine, and that might be, say, bedtime and breakfast or something like that. And so you you just took those two things to your ex-partner and then that way it made it easier just to say, look, this is all I'm this is what I'm asking. Can we just keep these two things consistent? So by not asking much, it's easier to get them on board. Is that that's right? right. And yeah, that's right. And like by all means things crop up and I would I encourage you know, you flag them. You always flag them. But if you're getting a resistance or if you realize that this is bringing up other things or whatever it is, have two things up your sleeve that you know the other thing for me was um I wanted them to be with me the Monday to Thursday overnight yeah I wanted that in a row I don't know you know other people whatever it is but yeah and I've seen I've watched I've observed other people going through this try and keep all the things and all the complications and you know we don't do it mean we don't do it on intentionally simplify <laughs> yeah yes simplify your own <laughs> because otherwise you just spend the entire time you know and you know what on the balance of things we didn't do that too badly I don't think in the end yeah there was a few things but overall I did by and large feel respected in in those things and they were important to me and so whatever went on I felt okay and I think it's interesting when you say simplify because even when you're together as parents you can find yourself getting wrapped up in knots about things that your partner's doing in a parenting sense that if you step back and take a deep breath actually really don't matter. So simplifying and just choosing two things sounds like such an incredibly straightforward and easy way to try and get some continuity between the two of you. The the other piece of advice I had from someone just remembering was to keep my side of the street clean. That was the woman's advice. And what is be courteous be polite step away from your phone (laughs) be the one one that's always saying the please and thank you Uh, hard to do I imagine sometimes but wonderful it's hard to do but also harder to undo when you don't for yourself put yourself in the middle of it and just go if I yeah just be just be courteous um and if when that's hard, go, this is for the kids. This is about the kids. And just taking that focus off your own frustrations can help sometimes. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's easy. Though. <laughs> um, no, or then you call the friend. Then you call the- your friend. <laughs> <laughs> make, a, make a voodoo doll or something. That's right. Or I have another friend that used to send a series of emails she would have liked to send and never sent. So, yes. I mean, that's. You know, that's therapeutic too. Yeah. So lots of people I've spoken to have said that when you're thinking about separation, you should speak to a lawyer. That can feel really alien to people. I know for a while it was something you resisted because because lots of people are hoping for an amicable separation. You know, of course it's not always possible, but thinking if you talk to a lawyer that's going to make things more combative. What's your take now, looking back, on contacting a lawyer in the early parts of a separation? Oh, yeah, I waited the longest, longest time. I, could. I, I didn't want to have to do that. My first piece of advice is go to mediation first. Yes. Um, and get a plan on the page. 
that should be enough for most people for a long time. When we're talking about parenting, I'm not talking about financial aspects of separation. Only it's difficult. It's really difficult. Some people are forced into going down the lawyer route because the other person has quickly. Mm. I've had a good experience, but I was ready and I did it when I was ready. So that would be my advice. Don't let anyone scare you into going into one early. Don't let anyone scare you into thinking that you've got to protect all your assets and do all of that stuff. That can escalate things. If you're not emotionally calm, this process of seeing a lawyer can, I think, rattle you. When, when did it feel right for you, Lucy, to, to contact a lawyer? When I realised we couldn't, like the agreement we had had literally had an expiry date, like literally was expiring, um, and it was clear to me what I now needed to keep moving forward. Yeah, so it was like a process of time that yeah. things started to settle and then you realised this is where I need help. Yeah. And um, I think, in fact, that when you're separating, you do have to go to mediation before you go to the courts. Yeah, you do. But what you're saying is that's a easier and perhaps gentler way to start to do that untangling of lives and work out how you're going to move forward with the kids. That's right. And the thing with separation is you're very rarely on the same page as the other person and at the same stage as the other person. So in some contexts, a lawyer could be perceived as being an aggressive kind of action. Yes. I'm not saying that that's true, but could be perceived by the other person. So be very, very clear about, that and do your research and choose someone who is as calm as possible too. I think so. Yeah. Quote that someone says you get the lawyer that you that you are. Like yeah. <laughs> So you've got some lovely, gorgeous lawyer who um, <laughs> will sit in a women's circle with you. <laughs> not quite, not quite. No, no. Um, but, yeah, I think you oh, – I would be so cautious of when you do that. Yeah, because I suppose a lawyer is always going to respond to – their job is to act on your behalf. So if you're in a place of wanting to be defensive or combative or whatever right. that might be, they're going to take your lead on that, whereas if you come to them when you've reached a place of relative calm, then – they might take that lead as well. That's right. And, I mean, the thing with them is it's often written communications between you, them, and the other person. So, and we all know that words can be misconstrued and tone can be misconstrued. So, Especially when it's written by a lawyer. No offence to lawyers. But, but of course, <laughs> you know, it's not the warm and fuzzies. And how did you find your lawyer? Um, she was actually recommended to me by a family friend. Did you have any questions you new to ask her you know how there's always advice on what questions mm. to ask to find out if the person you're going to employ is the right fit for you did you have any specific questions that helped you understand once you spoke to her that she was the right person I think no I didn't go to her with questions but we had the initial chat which I'm sure all of them do and I really have always 
resonated with people based on their voice. Sounds funny, but I can usually tell. It's a sense that I get and it was a sense that I got with her. A directness that I was looking for, but also empathy and understanding of, you know, I wanted to know that the pace I wanted to go at, we could go at. You mentioned earlier that with the um, one of the two things that was really important for you was having your boys Monday through Thursday in consecutive days. Was that that was something you were clear on from the beginning, and that was well received by your ex? Yeah, I was very clear on it, and he's respected that. And oh, I I know that at times is not what he also wanted, but that is I felt. Um, what he did understand and has always been good at understanding because, you know, we've parented long enough together is the consistency. That it was important for the boys. That's right, yeah. One thing about that uh, negotiation of childcare, like who's going to be, who are the kids going to be with, that I'm, I have heard is quite painful even though parents who have kids now are like, oh, wow, you get the weekend off. But actually <laughs> getting used to being away from your kids is actually really painful and and difficult. How did you get through that part of the separation? That was really, really difficult in the beginning, absolutely. The first thing was that I was exhausted. So I got through it by focusing on how can I get my energy back in these next three days so I'm on on fire again for next week. Um, And that's literally what I did. And I started up yoga for that reason in a really committed way. I, I mean, I'd always done it, but yeah. And that was one of the ways I found. So I really threw myself into committing to my own health and wellness. And I started to do, and then as as sort of months went on, I was like, okay, I can catch up with girlfriends. So my friendships, again, my friendships have been the biggest joy of this process. I've always had beautiful friendships. But as we all know, those early years of parenting don't leave a lot of time. Um, and I really threw myself back in to them. So I was trying to slowly ease that with, yeah, balancing, getting my energy back because I knew the boys would be back um, and they always come back. <laughs> <laughs> They're like um, a boomerang. <laughs> but, yeah, um, the school holidays were another tricky one because that was the longest. Um, and in the early days too, because my, my little one was only two, I'd ask that he not be away from me for longer than four nights in a row until he was five, and we, and we did stick to that really amicably. That was important too. But now they're a little bit older and things have adjusted. Life is completely different to those early days, but it is hard, and I would just say find something that you you really want to do and do that and kind of even if it's a little bit more money than you want to pay, just give it to yourself. So what would you say to someone who's facing separation right now? Oh, I'd say I have, you know, I want to give you a big hug. I know how terrifying it is, but know that, A, if you really believe it's the right thing, or even if you don't, just start to listen to yourself. Like do whatever it takes to get back to you and get a good therapist or or even if it's not a therapist a good friend who's happily going to listen to you for hours and just start trying to get it all out of you whether that's 
journaling, talking on the phone <laughs> at your friends, um, <laughs> talking into your voice memories. I used to do that. Get it out however way. Go dancing, and I mean in a healthy way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, unhealthy ways. Just start the process of unraveling the emotional impact of this, whether you've chosen this or not. And, and even if, you know, you've made that brave decision and chosen it yourself, that's not easy either. So really tend to yourself, find a way. Because from what I've learned about myself, but observing other people go through it too who, who haven't necessarily done it that way first, you're going to have to do it at some point. <laughs> it's going to come up. You can't run away from it. And the longer you push it away, the harder and longer that will take. So that the other thing that I found really powerful for that was meditation, grief meditations, even if I wasn't ready to feel something, like just sort of letting it emerge. But really it's your emotional body. I can't stress that enough. It's what we keep in our bodies that determine what happens on the outside of our lives. And I know that for sure now. That's an absolute truth. So however you can start to unravel that. Lucy Kippist, you are such a wise woman. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. That's Lucy Kippist. She's the community manager at Mums & Co. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.